You're listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast, where we give you recovery nuggets to chew on and think about on your journey in recovery and on the path, featuring your host, David Clemen. Hey, all you recovery nuggets out there, I'm excited to bring to you a special guest this week, um, Dr. Joan Ifland. Dr. Joan Ifland is the CEO of Food Addiction Training, LLC. She received her MBA from Stanford University and a PhD in interdisciplinary studies with a specialization in addictive nutrition from the Union Institute and University. She has innovated in the field of recovery from food addiction. She was the first chair of the Food Addiction Council for the American College of Nutrition. She currently runs online approaches to recovery, addiction reset community, as well as the Facebook group, Food Addiction Education. Joan is also a food addict in recovery. Joan Iflin was chosen by the Oprah Winfrey Network as the food addiction specialist for the show, The Book of John Gary. I hope you enjoy the episode. She talks about how the food industry has figured out how to addict people to unhealthy foods, processed foods, and things of those nature. We talk about that. And at the end, stick around. She she offers her recovery nuggets in terms of uh, getting off the sugar and processed foods. She has an online community she's created. And uh, this is a special episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Recovery Nuggets Podcast. I'm your host, David Clement. I'm joined today by Dr. Joan Ifland. She's a food addiction specialist, a PhD, and uh, welcome, Joan. Thank you. Thanks, David, for having me. Yeah, this is uh, really an honor to have you here because, uh, you know, the podcast is called Recovery Nuggets, and it's not, initially it started with recovery from drugs and alcohol, but it's kind of unwoven this web of you know, people are recovering from so many different things. And I feel like we're at this precipice in, in humanity that we're all talking about what we're recovering from. And I wanted to have you on because I found you on Instagram and I wanted to hear your story and how you got involved in all this. So uh, welcome right. to the show. Thank you, David. Uh, I really appreciate your addressing addictions, corporations, have learned how to addict people. It really started, it started in the 1960s with the tobacco industry buying Hawaiian punch and learning how to transfer tobacco addiction, corporate tobacco addiction practices to sugar for children. Wow. Then uh, high fructose corn syrup came on the market, it's cheap. The tobacco industry came over and took over Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in the space of three years. They brought the addiction business model to processed foods. But you go on to the end of the 1990s and you have brain imaging technology. And now all the corporations could figure out how to make their products addictive. They could put people in MRI machines and read exactly how to formulate and advertise products to hyperactivate the reward centers in the brain. So 
every when I say everybody has an addiction, it's not an exaggeration. Unless you know specifically how to defend against these practices, it's really now it's spread out. Drug and alcohol addiction to tobacco addiction, processed food addiction now, screen addiction, gambling addiction, porn addiction, spending addiction, shopping addiction. Uh, it's and they've learned to start with children. So I just think that the direction that you're heading, that uh, if, you, if a drug addicted person or an alcohol addicted person isn't aware of these corporate business practices, they will go through the, the, the tough struggle of getting off of the drugs or the alcohol and go straight on to something else sex addiction or screen addiction, and the misery continues. And they never get to, to find out what an incredible experience it is to have no addictions at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah, the, um, oh, I'm getting some feedback there. Can you? Okay. Um, yeah, I know when I got clean, I picked up sugar. And when I quit cigarettes, I picked up chocolate eclair ice creams. I mean, it was substituting one for another. And, um, you know, with time in the program that I go to, and then, you know, learning how to meditate and journaling and lots of different practices. And then recently in the past few years, I've actually done EMDR to, to really work on my trauma and my triggers and things like that. You know, that kind of stuff has freed me from the cravings of food. Now the holidays got a little dicey. So, you know, I had yeah. to bring it back in. But once again, it it doesn't start with a whole pizza. For me, it starts with like a slice of pizza. And then it's it, the door is right back open. And yes, it's, that's called kindling. It's good. It's why uh, alcoholics it's like AA is so clear. Just don't take the first drink. Don't kindle it. Don't right. pour kerosene on those coals that you know have have cooled down they're not bothering you don't bring them back to life oh i like that term (laughs) yeah kindling it's a it's a good term um i was just looking at some research about craving incubation by uh jeffrey grimm who's a researcher at western washington and he's done research on sucrose craving incubation Cocaine craving incubation, alcohol craving incubation. So even though you're not drinking and maybe you're not even experiencing the cravings, they are growing. And it might be you're great for 30 days, but then they get worse. And you just, you said, oh, I'm going to cave just this one time. And boom, your brain just explodes. Fireworks going off in there that you have no control over. So it's, um, you know, people say you can get off drugs and alcohol, but you can't get off food. So just like alcohol, you you separate the world into alcoholic, non-alcoholic, and you know clearly the difference. There's a huge difference between processed foods, addictive processed substances that are being sold to us as, as food and real food which still looks like it did at the moment of harvest. But once it doesn't look like that anymore, it means it's been processed. 
plants have natural endorphins in them. It's not that we're just eating so that we don't die. We're eating because we get a dopamine or a serotonin or opiate or a cannabinoid rush, just a little one. And that lasts for four or five hours, unlike a drug where you get a big surge and then a crash. That's an addiction. But when you process foods and you concentrate them, you're concentrating the natural endorphins and you're turning them from food into a, an addictive substance. Now, is this what you're, you're referring to when you talk about the food industry addiction scientists, what they've done to the food and, and, and how they process it to make it that way? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I have a Stanford MBA way, way, way back in my past. I'm very interested in business models. My undergraduate degree is in economics and political science, so I'm very interested in government models as well. And um, the addiction business model, just think of it, the five A's of the addiction business model. It starts out with hiding addictive substances in the product because, you know, just a normal average everyday citizen is not going to pick up something that involves being mentally enslaved. Mm -hmm. So the, the addiction merchants have to hide it. So they, they extracted and concentrated nicotine and they put it back in the cigarettes. So you only had to smoke three cigarettes before the reward pathways in the brain were hyperactivated. Mm. And uh, so when tobacco, they brought that model right over to processed foods, in the mid-1980s, they hired a man named Howard Moskowitz, Harvard-trained PhD in experimental psychology of marketing. And he developed a method whereby you could hide the maximum amount of sugar, fat, salt in a processed food before the consumer would detect and reject it. It was a very intense data model. You had to have a lot of people tasting a lot of different foods and then crunch all the data and figure out the common, the most that you could hide in a product before the, the consumer would say, oh, this doesn't taste right. Wow. So yes, uh, it's part of the addiction business model. You see it also in uh, teenage girls and drinking. So they create this product called a, a wine cooler mm -hmm. and it just tastes like, it tastes like soda. It tastes like a, a soft drink. So they're hiding the, the alcohol in the drink until the girl gets addicted to it. It's, it's insidious. Yeah. They did it with the pharmaceuticals, with the opioids. They hid, they told, they lied to the doctors about the addictive properties of the product. So they hid the addiction and it's just tragic. It's really tragic, but that's how they get people addicted. It's one of the ways that they get people addicted without their agreement or consent or knowledge or willingness, none of that. It's one thing that I hope that your listeners really get from this, which is this is not your fault. Mm -mm. This was something that was very deviously done to you. The food industry gave you an addiction, just like they gave, you know, two thirds of Americans adult, adults smoked. 
they gave two thirds of American adults nicotine addiction. Mm. By so they put they put extra substance in the product, and then they tell you just absolute flat out lies about the product. They're allowed to uh, market these products deceptively. So just like cigarettes were marketed as sexy. Like, can you imagine anything less sexy, less more yeah, repulsive yeah. than a cigarette? <laughs> or right, they right. told women that smoking was rebellious. And if you were a suffragette or a modern woman, you smoked so that you would know, everybody would know that you were independent. That it's, that's, no, that's uh, killing somebody. It doesn't have anything to do with being rebellious or independent. So they've yeah. done the same thing with processed foods. They make these horrible substances uh, yummy, even healthy, like these deceptive health labels on products. It's it's not our fault. It is not our fault. They knew what they were doing. In spades. Yeah. Yes, it's so- chilling. It's it, the, the book where this is described, it's a book by Michael Moss. It's called Sugar, Fat, Salt. And I have to say, the first time I attempted to read it, I had to put it down about halfway through and wait a year and then pick it up again and read it. It is evil. It's I know that sounds over the top, but well, you're no, selling it, drugs to toddlers. I'm sorry, that's evil. Yeah, it sounds like it incensed you so much. You just couldn't you couldn't finish it. I would, it was. It wasn't anger so much as it was just just the sheer terror mm. and grief of what these people are doing. But then I did pick it up and I and then I did finish it a year later, especially when they got to how they were manipulating small children, even baby formula. Like the, the worst offenders on the planet are the corporations that manufacture baby formula. 50% sugar and corn syrup solids. Wow. So that, that baby is addicted, just never has a chance. Yeah. So circling back to your story, I noticed that you are actually in recovery from this as well. So yeah. what, kind of what led you to want to figure out why you couldn't stop eating this stuff? Well, I um I had a rage problem. There's something else that I hope every listener just gets really deep down on the inside, like any drug, any mood altering drug, these drugs create depression, artificial, chemically induced depression, irritability and anger, anxiety and fear, shame even. And uh, this one is particularly insidious because not only is it, it's called down regulation. So it's shutting down the feel good pathways in the brain gradually by overstimulating them and wearing them out. But it also has very unstable blood glucose because these drugs are carbohydrates. So they get into your bloodstream all at once and you get a high and then a crash. And that can produce violent behavior. So Maya was raised by two violent people. I was raised in a 1950s household and oh, my mother went for that convenience. Modern women use convenience foods. The the sugary breakfast cereals were out, the the white bread, the margarine, 
which mm. we now know was killing us. Uh, the the shortening in the can, the highly highly processed dairy products. Uh, it's just it was uh, just a horrible way to grow up, and their tempers were terrible. So I had my two kids in '83 and '84, and I just swore I was never going to do to them what had been done to me. Well, I never hit them. I was hit as a child, not in a rational way, like, oh, now you've done this. Now we're going to have to punish you. No, no, no. There's like this belt would come out of nowhere and there would be a very angry, very large adult uh, swinging it at the other end. That's that's chemically induced behavior. So I, um, you know, I started into therapy. That was the only thing available. And I did a lot of therapy. I knew, you know, I discovered all my childhood issues. It didn't stop the raging. It was also after those two pregnancies, I began yo-yo dieting. See, the pregnancies were in 83 and 84, and high fructose corn syrup hit the market in between 80 and 85. So a high fructose corn syrup converts to body fat, like two and a half times more readily than sugar. Oh, wow. We're, we're having an epidemic of obesity because high fructose corn syrup has been substituted for sugar. Well, anyway, um, I did therapy and then I did this big old women's healing group and spent a lot of time and money training with them. And I was still raging at home. And I went to Codependence Anonymous to see if I could get this under control. And there's where the miracle happened. There was a woman in there who heard the sugar driving my behavior. And she encouraged me to go to a, a different 12-step group, Food Addicts in Recovery. And along the way, I got the book. I didn't read the book. I just turned to the food plan. <laughs> in January 1st, 1996, I started following the food plan. And the miracles started rolling in. The I didn't... I. I I didn't know on January 1st that I had cravings. I had been thinking obsessively about food my entire life, but I just thought it was normal. January 4th, they were gone. It took uh, four days to withdraw from just the sugar and flour. That's all I gave up. Yeah. But the cravings stopped, the fatigue stopped, the brain fog stopped. Now I know what was happening. The brain, the inflammation, these substances are very inflammatory. My brain was inflamed, and that's why I had brain fog. So um, I knew I couldn't lose weight on this program because there was a lot of food. And lo and behold, at the end of the week, I'd lost two pounds, and I continued just to lose two pounds without ever being hungry. The next week, I noticed my sinus infection, lifelong sinus infection, had cleared up. I thought, wow, this is weird. And then the allergies cleared up. I had not been able to go back to work because... I was just constantly swollen. and But the third week, it was a Thursday, the third week of January, I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm thinking, wow, I haven't had to yell at anybody in three weeks. <laughs> and I haven't been it forced. Hit me. <laughs> it hit me. This has got something to do with the food. So I was in... Uh, that 12 step group by that time, I went there that weekend that we didn't have the internet. And I said, Oh my gosh, what has happened? You know, what is this? And um, do people become less irritable on this food plan? 
And there are 20 people in the room. Is yeah, they do. But dang, you know, it's all powerful. that therapy and all the. I'm glad I did the therapy. I know my childhood issues, but um, and then I was off. I I worked with my therapist. I gave my children rules, boundaries. I'm not going to enable you, but you can't trigger me. And I just committed to whenever they left the house, they had enough food in a disposable bag to last them until I would see them again. It took them three months to figure out that they didn't want to eat this stuff. And um, then their grades started zooming and their athletic performance and their popularity because they were in a good mood. And uh, I thought, well, geez, this isn't fair. I'm going to tell all the other mothers about this. And I did, and, and nobody did it. So that was my first attempt. I made about 14 attempts over the next 22 years to help people get off these processed foods. I didn't know until, so that was, that year was 1996. I didn't know until about 2017 when I finished writing the textbook, what is an addiction? So I tried uh, over those years, many things, none of them worked except for one thing. My doctoral internship was in a small faith organization. I did an education program for them. They knew each other very well. They were very tightly knit. It was like a group of about 80 people who had been going to that faith organization for 40 years. And once one and two of them got it, it spread. Now I know that was crucial. Mirror neuron engagement, conformance drive engagement, community belonging. That that will trump uh, anything else going on in the brain, literally other other than the autonomic system. So, so I, did it- I just banged my head up against that addiction over and over again. I thought, okay, well, they don't, they're not following this hand up, must be because they don't know what to do. Spent three years writing a book, promoting the book, getting on TV, working with a PBS producer in Houston, uh, not helping. (laughs) You know, I just thought, oh, my gosh, people are going to find out about this and they're just going to go, go, go. And it's going to be amazing. No, nobody did it. (laughs) Yeah, it's an addiction. You need support. You've got to rewire because this starts really at conception. And there's no letting up. This is a deep, 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 deep addiction reinforced constantly by messaging and availability and cheap prices, the rest of the addiction business model, availability, affordability, advertising, addictive product formulation, young age, attack a young age kiddo. That's the addiction business model. Coupled with the hiding in the beginning. The addictive product formulation, yeah. Wow. Um, so once you did all that, well, I wanted to back up to the group of 80. It sounds like once there were some results, it got it became contagious. Everyone said, oh, wow, this is, and then you touched on the community of it. And then it sounds like it was a group rewiring of, of sorts. That's exactly what happened. So fast forward to January of 2018, four years ago, 
I, in the middle of the te- writing the textbook, I said, oh, this is a severe addiction. Most people have six out of 11 signs. And the American Psychiatric Association tells us that that's the threshold for a severe addiction. It has permeated your life to the point where a lot of dysfunction is occurring inside the person and outside the person. So, um, so oh, well, well, you know, AA says a meeting a day. Yeah. 90 days, 90 meetings. So I, I said, all right, I'm going to start a, a daily phone call. And I had a Facebook group and I marketed the daily phone call to the Facebook group. Didn't help. Uh, uh, there were people who came on that call every day, every day, every day, and they were still making themselves, the, the addiction was still making them sick. So on the end of 2017, Zoom, Zoom came. Yeah. And I said, oh, well, let's try this ever Zoom and let's try, let's try doing like an intensive week, which we now call reset week. And uh, so I got some volunteers from the phone call people. And January 1st, 2018, we were on Zoom all day. I said, we're going to do this all day. We're going to do it seven days straight. Well, I don't know, maybe about 10 people did it. Beginning of Monday, when we started, like, Joan, I'm really scared. I I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Well, don't worry. You don't have to start today. Just come. You know, come to all the events, just leave your Zoom screen open. And then we came to the end of the day and I went around the room. I said, how'd you do? Well, I ate clean today. Oh, really? Oh, oh, how about you? Well, I've been trying to have a clean day for 20 years. Today was the day. Really? You know, and it just all the way around the room, all 10 of those women, they're all women. And I was shocked. After 22 years of looking and wondering and trying, there it was. There it was, January 1st, 2018, the big discovery. Well, I got busy to find out what happened because I didn't know about mirror neurons. So I sure found out. Uh, So we did that week. Everybody stayed clean that week. They all got through withdrawal, which can be painful. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a paid, I had advertised a paid week, the next week, same thing. And I thought, dang. So that was uh, now four years later, we have had the addiction reset community for four years. And it's absolutely miraculous. It's core. The core thing that we are able to do is to get people to like themselves take care of themselves, care about themselves, improve their self-esteem just by constantly pointing out how wonderful they are. So we just, just today in the director's meeting for the company, we were working on a new tagline. Uh, It was, I did not originate this. One of my members told me about it. She said, in other programs, I was being taught to hate myself into recovery. Mm. In this program, I'm learning to love myself into recovery. And it is true. We never we never talk about character defects. We never talk about, oh, you failed. We don't have any language for that. If somebody tries something out and they don't like the way it turned out, that's all. They tried it out and they didn't like it. So 
they have the power to do it differently next time. And we're all really interested to hear how that turns out. But there's no pathway to failure and you never do anything wrong. Somebody's shown you mirror neurons have picked up something, but you, wonderful you, way deep down inside of you, in increasingly coming to the surface, wonderful you, uh, you are a good person. You do good things. You are splendid. And that from that platform, people will fight it. It's like, okay, I'm an important person. I don't eat that stuff. It makes me sick. That's as opposed to, well, I am just such a loser. I might as well eat it. It's been miraculous. It sounds like it. So the mirror neurons, when you when you uh, reference that, is that being around other people who are trying to do the same thing as you and you're actually picking up on it? Mirror neurons will either kill you or they will thrive you. They, they will, you will thrive because they are helpless and they are powerful. I just saw this incredible uh, TED talk the other day by a neurologist. He had Maslow's hierarchy of need. The most important thing, the foundation, water, food, shelter. And he said, that is wrong. And he moved it up to the second row. And what moved to the first row, the most important thing? People, community. Why? Because it is through people and community that you get the water, food, and shelter. So your brain is totally tuned into belonging to other people. And how do you do that? You copy them. Yeah. They're going to look for you food. You go look for food. They're heading towards the shelter. You head towards the shelter. They're, they're getting out their sticks to beat off the predator. You get out your stick and you beat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're taking care of kids. You take care of kids. So the people who conformed, who, the people who really developed strong mirror neurons, they procreated. Their genes got passed down. The one who got to like to wander off by themselves with the hyenas had them for lunch. They didn't live long enough to uh, to have children. So over, I mean, the scientists think that that humans have been evolving for about seven million years. We got a midbrain about uh, three million years ago. We got a frontal lobe you know, a couple hundred thousand years ago. Um, but there are mirror neurons just studded all throughout the brain. And the way a mirror neuron works is it sees what an, uh, somebody else is doing and it actually directly stimulates your brain cells to have the same experience. So if you see somebody sad, you're not like flipping through your frontal lobe and matching that with the word sad. No. Mirror neurons are actually stimulating your sad brain cells. And you are experiencing sadness. And that's how you know the other person is sad. So, I mean, the food industry exploits this mercilessly. Uh, the, the brain does not, the frontal lobe knows about screens. The frontal lobe is tiny. It's, it's this, this very thin veneer of brain cells in the front of the frontal lobe, the front of the frontal lobe. It's about 2% of the brain, max. The rest of the brain is quite stupid. 
<laughs> the frontal lobe is is basically your lizard brain. No, no, the lizard brain is the, the most primitive brain. The frontal okay, lobe is the, most, the smart okay. brain. Oh, yeah. okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So this, what this, the the. The rest of 98% of the brain will believe everything that it sees. Why? Because it evolved in an environment where there was never anything false. It was mm. never anything not true. If you saw a tree, it's because there was a tree there. You know, today you see a tree and like, okay, is that a painting? Is it on a screen? The hologram? <laughs> Yes, so 98% of the brain doesn't have a filter. It doesn't need one. It didn't need one for 7 million years. But once we got language, then we could be deceived. And that happened about 200,000 years ago. Then somebody could tell you something that wasn't true. You didn't have a visual, an actual something to touch. Uh, and that, uh, but 98% of the brain doesn't get that. So if the food industry tells you 20 times that something's really yummy, it could be killing you, mm-hmm. but you're going to go get it. Or the tobacco industry could tell you 20 times that this was rebellious and sexy and uh, it would kill you, but you would go get it. That's what's happened with food. So, 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 there's now research, and this was a stunning study. Uh, the guy's name was Barr, B-A-H-R. I don't know, it was a guy or a woman. I'm sorry. I oh, that's all right. Um, he went, they went so far as to say that if your social circle is not losing weight, you cannot lose weight. Oh, wow. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, if your drinking circle is not getting sober. And I think that's why when you when we get in recovery and we're in the community of people recovering, it goes back to what you were talking about with the mirror neurons. Exactly. I mean, I can read about a book, but if I see a group of people that I'm hanging out with doing it and their lives are changing, it sounds like those are getting fired up to continue doing what they're doing. You will do it helplessly. The whole name of the game is who your mirror neurons see the most. So the people they see the most that are the most like you. It's kind of a a formula, but you can predict your behavior based on the people you see the most who are the most like you. Yeah, so that's makes total sense to me. I mean, that's yeah, that's been my experience. For an addiction of this severity, I mean, most people will score eight, nine, ten, or eleven out of eleven. So that's a really severe addiction. And if you were scoring that on an alcoholism test, you'd be sent off for residential treatment, perhaps for a couple of years. Well, we're not sending 100 million or 200 million or 300 million people off for residential treatment for two years. But the cool thing is, is now we know, four years into this, we know that you can stay at home and you can get yourself on a screen or you can just play. Like we're up to 15 hours out of every 24 
of live programming. And we have a huge video library of videos that we have made ourselves. So if you wanted to have clean messaging around you uh, for your waking hours, you could do it easily. Our, our program is designed to make that easy. And even if you have times when you must, must, must focus totally on something else, uh, it's it's there. You know, it's on your phone. You could just as soon as yeah. you're available to even pay half or a little bit of attention, and you don't even have to pay any attention. Just play it in the background. It it works. It works. Well, that's uh, never had control or getting control in the arc. Well, that leads us into your uh, foodaddictionreset.com. And if if you if someone was really struggling with this processed food addiction, food addiction. How, where would you suggest they start coming to your website? Yeah, I noticed you have a lot the, of free stuff on there, a quiz. Yes. Um, we have a lot of services. We have a lot of services and we do trainings. We are looking for people to work for us. Uh, so we have trainings that lead right into a job. It's so the, the place to start is processedfoodaddiction.com. Okay. And you can sign up for the free stuff there. The most important thing to do is to take the self quiz for the signs. It's not a diagnosis, but it's the signs of addiction to processed foods. And um, if you, addictions are progressive. So even if you're in the two to three to four range, uh, take action. Get the processed foods out of your house and um, watch it like a hot, and and just break through the delusion that oh you know this is a treat. No, no, it's ten times worse than cigarettes. I just did a workshop. We do our own work weekend workshops. I just did a workshop based on uh, Rob Lustig's book Metabolical on the eight ways that processed foods attack cells the the mitochondria and they fill the cell up with waste and they make the membrane not work properly they make it too brittle and it, it'll break and contents of the cell fall out and the cell is not able to clean itself and there's inflammation and insulin resistance and um epigenetics is changing the genetics of the cell eight ways so when I, I used to say, I, you know, really just like I hated saying it because it sounded so over the top. But now if I say processed foods are associated with 144 diseases, I've got a basis for it. If your cells aren't working, it could manifest easily in 100, over 100 ways. But you know what? This is what makes it fun. I have to say our recovery program is really really fun because cool amazing things are happening every day that everybody told you would never go away or that you didn't know you had and that it's like oh gosh I'm less tired I didn't know I was tired it's fun recovery is fun yes if you are in a program that makes it easy and it's it takes immersion in a program to really get your mirror neurons to swing around, latch on to healthy people, and then you will be helplessly doing the happy, healthy things that everybody else is doing. 
That's fantastic. So all that information about your programs on the website, I will put all those links in the show notes for sure. Thank you. Thank and, you. Yeah. And um, I noticed you have a textbook and do you have, yeah. is there a book that goes with the program? That's not as, you know, the textbook is, it's a large book. It seems it's like a it's a reference more, book. Sure. Yeah, think, think of that textbook as a reference book. If you, uh, I have the, the hard copy, but I also have a Kindle. And I have okay. to say, I like looking things up in it. It's it's based on twenty. It's based on two thousand studies. So if I need a starting point to think, to do some research, I can go to the textbook and get the studies that were available. I wrote the textbook full time, three years. I looked at six or eight thousand studies. I wrote about seventy percent of it myself, and I got these amazing contributors for the other 30%. But if I need to, like, if I want to go and look and see if there's any new research on a topic, boom, I go to the the textbook, I get the old studies, and then I use a database that will show me similar studies that have been published more recently. It's, it's a reference book. It's based on 2,000 studies, but it is readable. People tell me it's readable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's on the website as well. So can I tell, can I share something with you? Because sure. I'm, just like, I'm yeah. beside myself. Please do. So, uh, Amazon's got about 33 million books on it. That textbook is selling in the top one half percent of all Amazon books. Wow. Yes. Fantastic. That's amazing. It is. It doesn't I mean, happen to textbooks, but it's really the only book out there. It's the only, uh, what words should I use? It's the only um, credible. It's the only credible book on food. There's all these, you know, immediately if a book is bogus, if it says food addiction on the front of it, but it has a picture of processed foods on the cover. Why do you know that's a bogus book? Because cueing or triggering or messaging or food stimulation or triggers, that is where the relapse starts. That's what start the fireworks in the head and that's how you lose control. So if some idiot, sorry, yeah. <laughs> put a trigger on the cover of their book, you're like, run the other way. Leave it alone. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm really glad you're, you took the time to be here. Some awesome Thank information. You. And, um, you know, I really appreciate chatting with you and learning and, um, Thank you. before Thank we you go, what you do. Oh, thank you so much. And, um, you know, before I go, I always ask the guests, um, what recovery nuggets would you like to share with someone that is struggling with addiction, especially specifically food addiction? And, and, and what would you like to share with them? Well, um, get get the best information. So people say, oh, just get off the sugar. No, you'll just transfer it right over to flour. You get off the sugar and flour, you'll transfer it to dairy. You get off the dairy, you'll transfer it to uh, caffeine or excessive salt or processed fats or food additives. Get into a program which is going to let you do that slowly. You have a lot of drugs to get off of, and they're highly, highly addictive. And can I give one nugget to the, to the drug and alcohol addicted people? Yes, please. 
fight with everything you've got not to transfer your addiction to processed foods. Everybody around you in those 12-step groups is transferring the addiction. You will be sicker. I know this is hard to believe, but because these processed foods attack cell function so viciously, you can end up sicker, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, fatigue, depression, sicker than you were on drugs and alcohol. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, David. I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you. This was wonderful. Thanks again for listening to Recovery Nuggets podcast. I want to thank our guests this week. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can reach out on Instagram at Recovery Nuggets podcast. And the email is recoverynuggetspodcast at gmail.com. Also, like and subscribe on Spotify and Apple. And be great if you leave a five-star review. That really helps out the podcast. And I really want to thank you for showing up for your recovery today. Disclaimer, Recovery Nuggets podcast and guests are not representatives of any 12-step program. I am not a doctor, counselor, or therapist. I share my experiences, strength, and hope. Guests of the show share their personal experiences and opinions. Take what you like and leave the rest. Each person's journey in recovery is unique. Thank you for listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast.